What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show. This is more than just a Friday edition. I'm joined, as always, by Joe House, but this is the Thanksgiving Friday edition. This is the holiday weekend where we do nothing but eat, drink, and watch football. It is the most glorious weekend of the year if you love to watch the NFL and bet on the NFL because it's a socially acceptable thing to plump your butt on the couch all day Thursday, eat that turkey, eat all the food you love, drink your worries away while you bet on all these games. And now this week, House, we get a Black Friday game to continue the party onward. Let anybody who wants to go shopping waste their lives and their time doing that and standing in lines while we bet on the Jets. That's in Dolphins game. And then we get a whole Sunday slate to do the same thing all over again. It's going to be outstanding. How excited are you for this holiday weekend house? It's a four turkey leg uh, weekend. We are doing this uh, early in the week, Sharpie, so that everybody can get to where they got to get to, including us. This show, uh, some of these lines you hear from us might move between the time we're taping this and when you hear it early Friday, and if there's any personnel developments, we'll try and shout them out on the tweeter machine. Also, quick update, you know, it is officially pie season. We've been talking about these pies that we can't wait to eat, Sharpie. It's going to be holiday pie season. The holiday starts with Thursday and runs all the way through Christmas, somewhere between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We are going to sit down and eat some delicious pie, Um, but hopefully I am recovering from my Thursday three-leg money line parlay that all of America will be on, Sharpie. Who is not betting this three-leg full turkey parlay between the Niners, the Cowboys, and the Lions? It's the squarest bet out there. Hopefully, uh, we are all arriving Friday morning listening to this show with happy faces because that three-leg turkey parlay hit for us, buddy. 
Yeah, absolutely. This, this, it's just, there's just nothing better than this. There's absolutely nothing better than this. Um, there may be holidays that you like more, that you celebrate more, that you spend more time with your family, but for NFL junkies, NFL fans out there, whether you're betting on the games or if you don't bet on the games, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast channel if you don't, but at any rate, this is the apex weekend, in my opinion. This is the premier NFL betting weekend. There's weekends that we like more, right? I love the divisional round of the playoffs. That's probably my favorite overall weekend of the year from a from a watchability perspective. But if you just want to get a lot of football in and have a lot of opportunities to bet on games, because all these games now, House, are standalone. I mean, we almost have, from the start of Thanksgiving through like Monday Night Football this week, more standalone games this week than we do games jumbled into like the 1 and 4 p.m. slates because of the three Thursdays, the Friday game, uh, coupled with the Sunday night and the Monday night game. It's just glorious. It's absolutely Absolutely glorious. So uh, the only good thing that Amazon Prime has done is is give us a game on Black Friday because obviously we know their difficulties with uh, Al Michaels and his tendency to deliver boring, asinine commentary during the games. But let's dive right into that game, House. Let's dive right into the Jets-Dolphins game. This game is going to be fascinating for a number of reasons, if not for us to be able to watch Tim Boyle in college. This was a guy in college who had only one touchdown to 13 interceptions. He averaged 4.5 yards per attempt and went undrafted. He was horrific. And so you know him. I know him. I asked my draft guru at Sharp Football Analysis, Ryan McChrystal, who does great with like the mock drafts and personnel evaluation and guys coming out of college. I said, Tell me a little bit about Tim Boyle. Like, what was your eval coming out? And, and what are your thoughts on him as a prospect? His quote was, I really don't have anything else to add because he wasn't actually a prospect. Green Bay has just always had this weird affinity for shitty but smart quarterbacks. So that's why he ended up in Green Bay. Now he's in New York because he can be reunited with Hackett. And that's the facts. Nate Hackett, Wanted to bring him there. He's a smart quarterback. He's six foot four. Other than that, he's pretty darn terrible. In the NFL, he continued that touchdown to interception ratio to an extent, three touchdowns to nine interceptions. Uh, in his two starts, he did play a little bit better back with the Detroit Lions a little while ago, but has not played much of late and now is getting fed to a Vic Fangio Miami Dolphins defense that is coming on strong and he's going to be standing house behind what is left of the ghosts of a New York Jets offensive line? In week one, this Jets offensive line, listen to these names. We're starting left tackle Dwayne Brown, left guard Lakin Tomlinson, center Connor McGovern, right tackle Elijah Vera Tucker, and sorry, right guard Elijah Vera Tucker, right tackle Makai Becton. Last week, the only guy who was in the same spot was Lakin Tomlinson at left guard. They've had 13 offensive line combinations. That's tied for the fourth most in the NFL. They've played 13 different linemen, which is tied for the third most, third most in the NFL. Last week's starters, they had Chris Glazer at right guard and Max Mitchell at right tackle. Makai Becton left the game. He was starting at left tackle last week instead of right tackle in week one. Left tackle, he exited the game in the first quarter with an ankle injury. That meant they had to put in rookie Carter Warren into the lineup. These were his first snaps ever in the NFL. So he's playing left tackle now. You had Glazer. He was making his first start 
in the NFL as well at right guard. Um, you have these mixed messages right now, what I'm hearing as to the availability of Makai Becton. Jeremy Fowler came out earlier this week and said that he was going to miss one to two weeks. Then very soon thereafter, Josina Anderson came out and said that he's still trying to play on Friday and added some weird language such as he may, quote, he may ultimately be ruled out, but he continues to try and return for the game. So I don't know what that means, but um, the bottom line is he might be out as well. Uh, there's just, it's not a good situation for a guy like Tim Boyle to be starting behind the current state of this offensive line and coupled with Nathaniel Hackett as your play caller. How do you envision the Jets doing anything offensively here against the Miami Dolphins? And, and what are your thoughts on this one? I don't envision them doing anything. I have no vision. I can't envision any uh, kind of success. The one curiosity, I'll indulge a little bit of an intellectual exercise. The fact that this offensive line, which was forecasted as being a weak point for this Jets team, I wonder how Aaron Rodgers would have fared this season. Now, would Aaron Rodgers behind this rotating cast of characters um, you know, what kind of success would he have had? It was one of the rich debates we were having as the season started. Uh, we didn't get any uh, opportunity to really evaluate it, but um, we might have ended up with these backup quarterbacks sooner rather than later um, in this Jets situation. The only thing that I have a strong feeling about as it relates to this game is the under. The uh, line opened at seven and a half. It ran up to 10. Uh, FanDuel right now, at least in the DMV area, early part of this week has it at nine and a half. I fully expect this line to jump over the 10. It's the the point you made about all these um, standalone games. When people wake up on Friday morning and and look at the fact that we have a three o'clock game, thank God it's three o'clock for Al Michaels. He'll, he will at least, you know, it's not nighttime for him, um, have an opportunity to be alert during the day, but I think that this line's jumping over 10 and I just don't want to have anything to do with it. After the Dolphins on offense last week, they let me down a little bit. I like the Dolphins just in a smash spot against the Raiders and they just didn't really uh, come through on offense. This, this Dolphins team is now an under team. Last two weeks, uh, under 35 points. They scored a total of 28 points against this Jets defense last year. 2022, a total of 28 points. And the Dolphins are content to just, you know, kind of run the ball. We have still some open questions around Achan. Uh, Achan, however the gentleman would like us to say his name. Mostert seems healthy. Um, but if the Dolphins get up, or I should say, when the Dolphins get up, as soon as they're up by 10 points, the game's over because there's no scenario unless they turn it over like the four times they did on Sunday depriving me of my two-score cover, Sharpie. Unless they do that again, as soon as they're up 10, this game's over. Tim Boyle um, will be running around for his life. Best of luck to him. But I love the under in this game, Sharp. Yeah, first of all, uh, that was a weird game last week. Um, that was one where I did the very, I don't think I've done this for, for at least two, three years now. I teased a team that was not long down through the seven to six and a half. And so I covered oh, a leg with uh, the Lions, you. the Lions to the Dolphins going very atypical there. But like you, I thought the Dolphins would have a ton of success against the Raiders. But the reality is this. Um, I, I know it's fun to look at the final score and say these guys didn't do anything. But 
they had in their first nine drives of the game, which went through the final uh, drive of the third quarter, they did not punt the ball a single time, but their drives ended with two fumbles, an interception, a turnover on downs, and a missed field goal. So right there, you're talking about like just unforced errors. The turnover on downs, you know, that that obviously is forced. But as it relates to the three turnovers plus the turnover on downs um, and a missed field goal, I mean, this is how you're not scoring as many points as you otherwise would. I also feel like they built a lot of their game plan around HN and he was not available. He went out and it was like a second run, I think, of the game um, and was lost for the game. And then the other surprising factor to me here to an extent was just that in general, the Dolphins struggled to run the ball. The Raiders give up a lot of explosive plays on the ground, and yet Mostert averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, so they did not have a good day running the football. And that was a bit of a surprise to me. When you mentioned Tua last year, uh, or the results last year, rather, for the Dolphins and how many points they scored, keep in mind that Tua did not play in either of those games last year. Um, he was lost. They lost the week five game to the Jets. They won the week 18 game to make the playoffs, which was massively important for me because I took the Dolphins win total over and they should have had it sealed up long before, if not for all these concussion issues for Tua. Thank goodness he's not having those this year. Uh, Tua is 2-0 straight up in ATS against the Jets, but he's never played the Jets with Mike McDaniel as his coach uh, because Mike McDaniel didn't arrive until last year and Tua was not playing those games last year. Um, he completed 72% of his passes in those games for 7.8 yards per attempt. So I do think that the Dolphins offense is going to have some semblance of success here and be a little bit more creative and, and able to move the football against the Jets. I think that most of what they're going to be able to do here is benefit off of mistakes and turnovers. I think kind of to your point, um, like the fourth quarter of the game last week against Mike's uh, producer, Mike's Raiders, they didn't have to do anything offensively. All they did was punt the ball. I mean, I would have loved to see, you would have loved to see them make more of their final three drives of the game where they went three and out. Uh, they went three and out twice and they got one first down one other time, but they only gained six yards, two yards and 12 yards on those three drives and punted it back each time, knowing that like the only thing that the Raiders were capable of doing is basically punt the ball or throw interceptions. So, I mean, the Raiders weren't able to get back into the game, but still was too close for comfort for the Miami Dolphins to be in that situation at home. Should have tried to extend the score, but they were comfortable not doing that. Um, I probably will be throwing the Dolphins into a couple money line parlays. That's what I've been doing a little bit more this year is when the teaser legs and teaser windows aren't there, I may just end up throwing them into a money line parlay because this one you can't get um, with the six, you can't get below the three, you can't get um, even to the three, you can only get to a four, probably not doing anything with that on a teaser leg. Um, I say we move on to the Sunday games, House. We got a couple of really good big Sunday games. Anything else to add for the Jets? Can we jump ahead? No, that's plenty on the Jets, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Other than for, for Mr. and Mrs. Boyle, Tim Boyle's parents, I think we covered it all. Yeah, maybe truly a Black Friday for them. Um, let, let's hope it's not the blackest of black, but uh, it might be bleak for sure. Uh, Jets, Jaguars, Texans. The Jaguars, Texans, it's in Houston. 
Houston currently is an underdog to the road Jaguars at FanDuel Sportsbook. The Jaguars are laying a point and a half. The total sits at 48 and a half house. And this is a game earlier this year that the Houston Texans went into Jacksonville and absolutely obliterated the Jaguars, put up a ton of points. Uh, I want to say 37 points, had a lot of success offensively. Give me your take on the way that you think this game is going to unfold on Sunday. Any betting looks that you have here? Well, I, I have uh, a lean and I'm paying attention because the total was at 46 and a half um, in these early days, up to 48 and a half, as you observed. And I'm looking at FanDuel right this second during taping and it's at 47 and a half. My inclination with this game, just to sort of get it out of the way, is to play the over, and that is a function of um, what we're seeing out of of Houston's uh, efficient pass, but also the fact that that Jacksonville, even though their defense has um, you know been 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 better, they still are a little bit prone to giving up explosive plays. But I'm interested in your perspective. So the two things. That are interesting here. What was the look ahead for this for this game? What was this the, the line for this in the summer? Let me go to the handy Sharp Football 2023 preview, and I will flip to the Houston Texans chapter, and they were catching four and a half points at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So congratulations in the first place, right? You drafted well. You have great uh, assets around your franchise quarterback. We'll knock on wood that he, you know, he continues to tear up the league, CJ Stroud. Um, but I think this number now has me leaning in the direction of, of, of the Jaguars. Um, Houston's defense is so much better against the run than the pass. And what we saw last week out of Jacksonville, the combination of Finally, Trevor Lawrence using his legs a little bit uh, went way over his uh, rushing total prop. And it feels like for the first time this season, I'm sure that's not true, but um, they got Zay Jones back, which made Calvin Ridley relevant to their pass offense. And I think the Jaguars passing attack is is going to be formidable against this, this Houston team. Houston... Uh, you know, the Jags defense, I mentioned, you know, trending in the right direction. They're good on third down in the red zone. But the crazy thing with Houston is they don't need uh, to score. They score all, all from all, any point in the field and on any down uh, because of how explosive they are. So I like uh, playing the, the over, but my lean would be on the Jags. What do you think? So at 47 and a half, I would say take the over. I liked the over when it was at 47. It's at 48 and a half as we're recording this at most spots. So that is a rogue number at FanDuel. Uh, if perchance it still is there, uh, when we are recording, depending upon how the rest of the board moves or the rest of the lines move, maybe there's a key injury, maybe a group comes in, moves to this line somewhere else. But anytime there's a rogue number like that, uh, it's probably best to follow suit. Um, look, the last time that this Texans team played the Jaguars where they put up their their ridiculous output. Their left tackle was Jones. Their left guard was Green, and their center was Patterson. Now they've got Laramie Tunsil at left tackle. Now they got Titus Howard at left guard, and they got Dieter at center. 
Um, these guys are all upgrades. Like this offensive line for the Houston Texans is substantially better from a personnel perspective than when it was back in week three. The other difference that we've seen from the Houston Texans since that week three game is that they have a vastly different approach to their offense. They are utilizing and playing more to the strengths of their young quarterback, CJ Stroud. And, and they're using a lot of different personnel groupings here, which is one of the more fascinating aspects of this game, because let's think about this. Was it two weeks ago that the Jacksonville Jaguars were obliterated by the San Francisco 49ers? And that San Francisco 49ers team went up and down the field on the Jaguars. The only thing that they couldn't do is get Christian McCaffrey in for a touchdown. That's about it. Everything else they did, and they scored at ease, and they scored effectively. Guess who's from the San Francisco 49ers tree? Bobby Slowick. Guess which team also uses a lot of 21 personnel, just like the San Francisco 49ers? The Houston Texans. And the Jacksonville Jaguars defense this year, not even just to the 49ers, but to all the teams that they played, including guys like Josh Allen, which I'll mention in a second, they have struggled versus 21 personnel passes. Uh, they rank 27th in EPA per attempt allowed. They rank 29th in yards per attempt. They're allowing over 12, almost 13 yards per attempt to passes that are coming from 21 personnel, which is two running backs on the field, typically a fullback, which is what the Houston Texans love to operate in offensively. Brock Purdy from 21 personnel specifically averaged 9.4 yards per attempt, 63% success, and plus 0.36 EPA per attempt. Josh Allen, when they used some 21 personnel, he averaged 15 and a half yards per attempt and plus 0.75 EPA per attempt. CJ Stroud, when he threw nine times from 21 earlier this year in that game down in Jacksonville, 12.3 yards per attempt, plus 0.71 EPA per attempt and 67% success. So this defensive, uh, this defense is not as ideal defending the heavier personnel groupings that the Texans like to pass the ball out of sometimes. And so I think that's going to be an edge for their offense. And then when you look at the other side of the ball, the main way to handicap the Jacksonville Jaguars this year is just will there be pressure on Trevor Lawrence? We've talked about it before. I actually have a graphic I probably tweeted it out by this point in time when you're listening to this on Friday of where Trevor Lawrence sits in splits compared to the rest of the NFL when he's pressured versus kept clean. But he is off the charts. Horrific this year when he's being pressured from week six onward. He's bad all year long, but the numbers really stand out since week six. Uh, out of 39 qualifying quarterbacks, he ranks dead last in EPA per attempt minus 1.19 per pass attempt when he is pressured. That is almost unthinkable. Uh, his yards per attempt are only four, 4.0 yards per attempt. When he's kept clean, he's 8.1 yards per attempt. His completion rate is 76% as opposed to only 37%. So the big question is who have the Jaguars played of late that, and do these teams get pressure? Because obviously Trevor looked incredible last week against the Titans. Well, the Titans ranked 25th in pressure rate. So that is obviously, okay, this is why he was so good last week. The prior few games, he did play the 49ers. They ranked fourth breast in pressure rate, and he was obliterated, did nothing. And then he played the 13th-ranked Steelers and the 16th-ranked Saints. And he put up 30-plus points against the Saints, and he put up 20 points against the Steelers. So it's not like he was being shut down to these mid-tier pressure-ranked units. It was just the elite of the elite that got him. 
The Texans obviously would be benefited by pressuring a lot house, but they right now are only getting pressure at about a league rate average 17th since week eight. So I think Trevor, there are going to be times when he's going to look absolutely miserable and look terrible. And if you're betting on the Jaguars or if you're betting on the over, you're hoping that he doesn't make a mistake that costs you points. Uh, But other times, I think he's going to have some success here carving up this Houston Texans defense, which is not elite. And then if you look at Doug Peterson, the last note I have on this game house, he's been with the Jaguars for only a year and a half at this point. In same season rematch games, he's had four of them to date uh, versus the teams from the AFC South. They are averaging nearly 29 points per game offensively are the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a, generally speaking, apart from like their inability to scheme up ways for him to get rid of the ball when he's being pressured, which is mind boggling to me. And I think that's who's actually calling plays for them in terms of press Taylor rather than a Doug Peterson issue. But overall, they have been significantly better. Um, in the rematch games and figuring out what the defensive coverages might be and attacking those weaknesses in those soft spots. So uh, Doug Peterson, after that first game against D'Amico Ryans, it was a home game. They were favored. They thought they were going to go and win the game. And then D'Amico did some things defensively, got after Trevor a little bit, and he went off the rails and they did not not win the game. I think there's going to be a better offensive strategy here from the Jaguars in this pivotal game. I mean, you got a seven and three Jaguars versus a six and four Texans for the division lead. The Texans already won the first game. If they now are tied at seven and four, both of these teams and the Texans have a 2-0 series edge. I mean, this is going to be very difficult for the Jaguars to overcome. So this game is so massive, so massive house. I mean, let's give thanks to the football gods. It is week 12 and we're talking about the AFC South as the <laughs> premier pivotal Absolutely. game. On the slate, the football gods are good, Sharpie. Who would have so thought? Good. Who would have yeah, thought? Well, they also <laughs> gave us a nice matchup here in week 12 with two of the best quarterbacks in the game. Fun to go from Trevor Lawrence and CJ Stroud. We did think that this year should be a uh, a little bit of a, a vaulting upwards for Trevor Lawrence. We haven't really seen that yet, but there's still a third of the season to go. Um, but let's talk about this Eagles-Bills game with two of, of the game's uh, elite quarterbacks. The Eagles coming off of a really impressive Monday night performance, a beginning of the game through the end of the game, taking advantage of what was given to them against the Kansas City Chiefs on the road there in Kansas City, a very hard place to play, super impressive performance by the Eagles. And the Bills absolutely hammer time against the Jets, uh, doing one of those things that Josh Allen and the Bills do when they are at home, which is get started and don't stop and just keep rolling. The Eagles are laying three and a half. The total is 48, I believe. And I don't have a a a, a, a strong feeling yet on this game, but I want to hear how you're sizing this up. I'm pretty similar to you. I am going to be spending a fair amount of time here between now and when I would need to make some bets on this game or prior to kickoff, trying to figure out exactly how I feel about Joe Brady and his modifications to this Buffalo Bills offense. Because when a new play caller comes in, it's vital to study. What were they doing different? You know, was it related to pass rate, personnel? Uh, situations, play action, um, pace of play. There's a lot of different things that a play caller can modify 
um, while still getting some of the same plays in, it's just emphasizing certain things over others. Um, and that's one of the things that I really have to dig into uh, through some of the advanced metrics and get a better handle on, which I'm not to that point yet. Um, they certainly relied on Kincaid. Kincaid was targeted seven times and Diggs was targeted eight times. And so you had a lot of reliance on the kind of the top two receiving options. And then, of course, you had the, the big explosive touchdown for Shakir. But other than that, this primarily was what the offense was was moving through. And then they were getting both backs balanced involvement on the ground, though neither of them had a tremendous amount of success against the New York Jets. And so that's where I kind of wonder, how are we going to do here from a matchup perspective? Because there is a clear defined way that you want to be attacking this Philadelphia Eagles team. And I, I, I wonder if, um, the Bills are going to allow and, and Sean McDermott is going to allow Brady to be as aggressive through the air with Josh Allen to attack the weakness of that secondary. You know, they have a new safety in there and he had that end zone interception on Patrick Mahomes in the Monday night game. Um, and they were giving up some runs on the ground to Isaiah Pacheco, which was something that the Eagles strength was their run defense heading into this game. Um, and so, yes, it was a little bit rainy. And so, no, you didn't have as much downfield passing. And then when you did, you had a ton of drops, including the ridiculous I won't call it a game winner, but the ridiculous drop by MVS that would have put the Chiefs ahead with only a couple minutes left to play. Uh, that's just inexcusable. And it wasn't even, I mean, it's like, I don't know, what do you, what do you call it? Like a drizzle, like a mist almost at that point. I, I don't know. It was like spitting, you know, but um, it's no excuse to drop that. So I'm wondering how the Bills with this new coaching staff in terms of play caller on offense is going to attack the weaknesses of this Philadelphia Eagles defense and what they do perceive to be weaknesses and, and what their approach is. So that's going to dictate to me a lot of how this game ends up going. On the other side, you know, watching the Philadelphia Eagles off of their bye week, the passing game was not clicking. Um, you had a couple of nice passes to Devonta Adams, that really incredible deep pass that he caught at the one yard line that allowed Jalen Hurts to get another rushing touchdown on the tush push the following play. But there was not a lot of consistent passing. And yes, that's to be expected. You're going up against the Chiefs who have a great pass defense. Um, but are we going to get some consistency in this game against the Buffalo Bills? And are they going to pass the ball enough? And who is going to step up now that they are down their starting tight end, Dallas Goddard? Because his absence certainly looked like it was meaningful in the game against the Chiefs last week. So if you aren't getting guys to step up there and fill that void, are they going to rely a little bit more on the ground game? Because here's the issue. Here's the rub house is that the Bills run defense, though they do allow an explosive here and there from time to time, much like the Cleveland Browns, they do have a very good overall and relatively consistent run defense. So like if you were to pick out what is the weakness of the Buffalo Bills defense right now, you would want to basically focus on passing the football early, often, and try to build the lead that way. Um, but I don't know if the Eagles are going to try to look to do that uh, in this game. So it's just a lot of cat and mouse, a lot of game planning, a lot of coaching that's going to go into this one. It's going to take a lot more time to really break it all down, but I absolutely cannot wait for this game. Uh, certainly the premier gem of the Sunday afternoon slate. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a must win for the Bills and the door 
to the playoffs opened up a little bit with the injury to Joe Burrow. The Bills are in the best position to jump through there, you know, as the 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 Bengals we expect uh, will will drop out. Um, but I don't know if it's a flat spot for the Eagles. Is the, the emotional win over the Chiefs in Kansas City? It's a little bit of a of a short week. I mean, they're coming off of Monday night into Sunday afternoon. It's not the worst kind of short week, but um, I don't I don't think I'm going to play this in any way other than a small bet, probably on the over. And we'll wait and see how injury information shakes out over the in, in, into the weekend. Maybe a slight over on the Eagles and, and the Bills, mainly because the Bills can do the one thing that the Eagles defense um, is most vulnerable to. And that is get uh, uh, over the top and, you know, get some explosives in, in that way. You agree yeah. with that? I, I, the problem is both these teams just went under the total. Both these teams, like I said, have, have younger, inexperienced play callers. When you're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, he's in his first year. You talk about the Buffalo Bills. He's only had one game under his belt there. Uh, how aggressive are these guys going to be? And I do envision kind of like a dogfight in this game, back and forth, sort of a little bit of a lower scoring uh, affair at certain points. I'm not saying I'm betting the under here, but there are enough concerning factors here. This isn't like the 2022 edition of the Eagles offense going up against this high-flying Buffalo Bills attack, the Buffalo Bills offense, just because they looked okay thanks to some great field position and other things that they got going because the Jets stink and we're starting Zach Wilson and Boyle uh, does not necessarily mean that the Eagles are going to give them those same opportunities. And the Eagles have this tendency, if they can, to just like, if they're up by three points in this in the third quarter, just milk the clock, have like a seven, eight minute drive. And that just absolutely kills uh, full game overplays. So it's going to be fascinating to see that. We'll take a break. We'll come back, hit up scanning the board, a really fascinating game to discuss there. Bet the house one again. We'll talk about houses plays this week and get into betting buddies when we return. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens taking on the LA Chargers house, the scanning the board game of the week. The interesting factor here in this game is that prior to the summer, when we were looking at the lines and I was compiling them for publication of my football preview book, the Chargers were laying a point and a half at home against the Baltimore Ravens. Now the Chargers at peak, it was like probably Monday afternoon, Early Tuesday morning, the Chargers were catching four and a half points at home. We were talking about a swing from one half to four and a half. That's a six point swing. Obviously, it moves through the zero and some numbers that don't really matter quite as much. That is a massive move. And that is why we then saw a little bit, in my opinion, the four and a half, a little bit of an egregious number, especially without Mark Andrews for the Baltimore Ravens. That then took a little bit more Baltimore Ravens money on Tuesday afternoon, drop that line back down to three and a half. So some interesting things to break down in this game. I want to toss it to you first, see if you have any perspective on the Sunday night game in terms of where you're looking. Yeah, so I'm looking first at the team injury board. Uh, Bosa's listed as doubtful. Roddy Stanley, uh, questionable. We know Mark Andrews is out. Marlon Humphrey is questionable. Ronnie Stanley, Mark Andrews, and Marlon Humphrey, those are important players to the Ravens' uh, ultimate success. The biggest surprise, I thought the year lead-in was going to be the biggest surprise, 
is that Brandon Staley still has a job as a head <laughs> coach in the National Football League. True. But I guess that's just a matter of time. I have to say three and a half feels like the right number to me. Um, the, the Chargers predilection to, you know, I, it's now legendary and I don't have to repeat it. They don't, um, they, they can't win close games. And so laying anything like this by, by the Ravens, the Ravens also coming off of a little bit of a, a beneficial rest advantage, having played on a Thursday and then they come back uh, to to a Sunday. Um, it is West Coast travel, but I think with that, uh, it's the Sunday night game. So they, they really have um, good, good rest coming into this. I don't really have a feel. I, I'm going to play the Ravens. I don't mind laying the points. Um, you know, the, the, the Chargers can't get out of their own way. And it's a funny thing to say, but their offense really hasn't recovered from Mike Williams' injury. It turns out that the kid they drafted from TCU is not ready for primetime NFL play, Quentin Johnston. Um, so, you know, it, it fits and starts with the Chargers offense. I'm, I'm going to be in the direction of the Ravens. But the one thing that I am absolutely playing is the Ravens in the first half, because I'm not going to mess around anymore with big exposure to the Ravens holding on and, and closing out games that got, you know, they've been burning betters in that respect for a couple years now. Uh, but Ravens first half, I think they're five and zero against the spread uh, on the road this year. It's been a nice wager. Uh, Ravens first half. I think it's going to be one and a half or two uh, by the time that this, this goes up. I'm fine. Or even two and a half. I'm fine with playing all those numbers for Ravens in a first half play Sharpie. So the interesting part is I, I have the feeling that especially with how terrible Staley is, I mean, I completely agree that he should be canned. I, I don't know what they were thinking of going after him in the first place. He's certainly shown through incompetent decisions week after week, season after season, he's not the guy. And for him to then have the gall to go after some of the reporters for asking questions is absolutely hilarious to me. Uh, but at any rate, I'm looking at this game, though, and I think that the books are probably going to need, by the time we get to Sunday night, the Chargers here, right? Like, the the, the Ravens absolutely uh, dispatched uh, the Bengals last week. The Ravens have been steamrolling these teams, and I know it's on the road, and so it's going to be a little bit different, and their defense doesn't play quite as good on the road typically, but, you know, it's hard to for the public to not think that the Ravens aren't going to be in a good spot here to have a lot of success in this game. Meanwhile, the Chargers are just, you know, a disaster. They're a laughing stock, more or less. Um, they got this high caliber, high quality quarterback who can't get coached in a good game, whose receivers are dropping passes. Like you said, there's nobody reliable there other than Keenan Allen to catch balls from. But let's break down the X's and O's of this game a little bit. When I'm looking at the Baltimore Ravens, first, I guess, I guess let's start with this. The Baltimore Ravens are going to have to lean more into the run game here without Mark Andrews. I have no doubt about that. The strength of the Chargers defense is against the run. The weakness of the Chargers defense is against the pass. That being said, when you look at the teams that the Chargers defense has played that actually have decent and competent rushing attacks, there haven't been very many. There haven't been very many that they have played. Um, if you look at, uh, 
When they play an above average rushing attack, they are allowing 32 points per game and are one in three. Their only win was against the Minnesota Vikings. They lost to the Titans. They lost to the Dolphins and they lost to the Detroit Lions. The Lions scored 41. The Dolphins scored 36 here and ran all over them. When they play these below average rushing attacks, and by the way, I am uh, playing a little game here, taking out the Chicago Bears. That was Tyson Bajan's first road start. The Bears were down 17 to nothing because he's relatively terrible and they couldn't run the ball anymore. So I don't care that on average the Bears this year have decent rush. I'm, I'm taking that game out. That's not applicable here to what the situation that we're going to get. Um, I, th- I'm taking that, uh, that flexibility and doing that. They are allowing 5.9 yards per carry, 44% success, and plus 0.17 EPA per rush, two above average rushing offenses in quarters one to three. And insanely, they are allowing, they are allowing an average of 4.2 yards after contact per rush. House, this is an inconceivable, egregious number. They are not wrapping up. They are not tackling well. And now they were without Joey Bosa here. So I think the Baltimore Ravens are going to be able to have some success running the football on the ground, which then alleviates the need for them to have to go too far into the aerial attack. Although I think that that is where they're going to have some success and they are more of a a pass first offense. I just think we're going to see some potential for explosive runs on the ground. And while statistically, if you look at season long data, the Chargers defense against the run does look like it's about a middling unit. I actually think they're sneaky, not good against the run. And these teams that have semi-competent rushing attacks have proved that they just haven't played very many of them when you look at the other side of the ball the chargers strength is obviously the pass the ravens are the number one pass defense the ravens are 20th against the run you can run the ball a little bit against the ravens we saw the cleveland browns with the backup quarterback go in there and run against the baltimore ravens and get back into that game on the road and come back from behind and win with deshaun watson at quarterback and they got a lot of production on the ground with like third and fourth string running backs doing the heavy lifting So that's where you want to attack, but the Chargers can't run the football. The Chargers just played the 25th ranked run defense last week of the Packers, and the Chargers averaged 18% success, minus 0.37 EPA per rush, and three yards per carry. They can't run the ball. They're not going to try to run the ball enough as they should because they want to be a pass-first team. So now they're going to be passing into the teeth of the Baltimore Ravens defense here, which is number one against the pass I just, I don't know. I mean, the Chargers typically come out and score some points early, but I don't really see an avenue where they're going to be able to, unless we have like a a letdown spot for the Ravens, unless they just mess up on the road here in primetime. It is a West Coast game. You do have like the circadian rhythm uh, of a, it typically favors a West Coast team playing in primetime. I'll have to look back at the historical trends on this of the most recent years now that travel's been a little bit better, but there was a point in time where it's it's ironic. You used to fade West Coast teams coming east for a 1 p.m. start. And you also, the sneaky one, was fading the East Coast team going to the West Coast playing in primetime because for the body clock of the Chargers, this game kicks off at 5.20 p.m. and they're feeling fresh, whereas for the Raiders, this body clock kicks off at 8.20. So by the time you got to that second half, more importantly, to the Raiders, it's like, 11 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, whereas to the Chargers, we're talking about three hours earlier than that, and they're feeling still a little bit more fresh. 
We'll have to see if that becomes a factor here at all or not, especially with your point you raised where the Ravens struggle to close out some of these games, but the Chargers just are bad in the second half as well, and they struggle to close out things as well. So a lot to talk about in this one, House, but just a fascinating game. I can't wait to watch this one. Yeah, your um, description of the potential for a rush attack by Baltimore, I think the way now that I am going to play this, I'm going to look for Gus Edwards props. I'm going to play Keaton Mitchell props. They keep, uh, I, I still would like to see more Keaton Mitchell out there um, from the Ravens. But, you know, some of those longest, ru- longest rush props. And uh, I am absolutely all over the Ravens first half. That's the way I'm going to play this game. Maybe there'll be a little parlay with some of those uh, things. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll combo those up a bit. What do you say? I love it. Well, let's say what your bet the house record is right now. You are seven and four, charting another win last week, doing an excellent job. You teased the Lions to the Vikings and you came out on top in those games. So I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. I told you I liked what you had last week. I, I think I helped, in fact, uh, get you onto you one did. of those games. But yeah, um, the Lions. Yeah, you no, helped me. There you go. Well, so let's see what you got this week. What are you angling towards? So look, this is uh, the onset of the holiday season. We want to go ahead and celebrate. We don't all just have to eat what is, you know, the, the the most traditional conventional stuff. It doesn't have to be pumpkin pie all the time. Of course, I always like to play a tease for Bet the House. I mean, that's just my bread and butter. But the way some of these numbers are playing out here early in the week, there aren't, you know, um, setups for the so-called Wong teaser, what I'm getting through three and seven that I love the sides as much. So the combo that I'm looking at here, I like the Browns. That's a great teaser leg. The Browns are getting two and a half points in Denver. I can tell everybody right now I'm playing the Browns on the money line to win that football game outright. I think what they showed us last week against the Steelers is definitely repeatable against uh, the Broncos. But for the purposes of, of this bet, the house bet, the Browns teasing from two and a half up to nine because I'm playing a six and a half point teaser, Sharpie. The reason for that is because I want to get the Chiefs on the other leg. The Chiefs are at the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think, you know, that this is a situation for the Chiefs where they're going to come out against a division rival and just hammer, hammer, hammer time. I like grabbing the six and a half down. They're sitting at nine and a half. I'm going to push that down to three, but I want to play this two ways because it's not just pumpkin pie season. And there are other great pies out there. We're going to pl- we're going to split this bet up. We're going to play a teaser, that six and a half point teaser. You have to lay 143. It's minus 143 on the FanDuel Sportsbook machine. We're going to play three quarters of a unit on that. And then on the other side of this, one quarter of a unit, a delicious pecan pie, perhaps, on the Browns Chiefs money line parlay. I said that I like the Browns money line. I do like the the the, the uh, underlying thesis for this. We just watched it. They throttled the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. In fact, uh, so much so that Matt Canada is properly pro- properly looking for a job. I know that he should not send his resume to you, Warren Sharp, because you are not impressed with any of the analytics that he might not be relying on for for offensive performance. No chance. And we're gonna. You could take the Browns on the money line and pair them up with the Chiefs on the money line. That money line parlay pays plus 166. So I like having these two sides to the to this bet. Do you endorse 
this approach, Warren Sharp? I do. I think what you're doing is you're raising the upside if you are right about the Cleveland Browns, which you think that they're going to win the game outright. It's certainly, let's pretend you start with the thesis that you like the Browns in this spot. You think they've got a good chance to win the game outright. Um, should you bet the plus two and a half? I would argue no. I would say the two bets that you should be making here on a two and a half point underdog that you want to get involved in because you think they're going to win outright is the first, the teaser, and then the second, the money line. And so that is exactly the way that I would think that is the best opportunity to, to couple those two together is to dabble a little bit on each of these. And then when you've got this favorite that you are getting down to underneath of a field goal coming off of a, a, a brutal loss, um, which they led for most of the game. They were up, what, 17 to 7 for a large part. And but for a ton of drops, they end up losing that game. Weather is not going to be an issue here. This game is in a dome. I think what the Chiefs are, I want to say like 15 and 2 in the last 17 games against the Raiders, something, something enormous like that in a game that you know, they really need to have to keep the foot on the gas here. They're down to seven and three. They can't afford to drop to seven and four. Um, and you got the Dolphins that, you know, should have beat the Raiders by more last week. Um, I, I think the, their money will be coming in a little bit more on the Raiders. The money has been coming in on the under a little bit here, expecting a lower scoring, tighter game. In that scenario, it, makes a lot more sense as well to then go and 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 if you like the favorite here to put a little bit on the money line if we think and it could be a lower scoring game um and so for those reasons i think that this is a perfect way to make use of you know one bet as opposed to taking your one bet and just rolling with the teaser add a little bit of the upside get that plus money payout on the money line parlay as well well, I have one more I'm going to bounce off of you and this is just for fun. This is the four legs. This is a full turkey play of the week. Unders have been the story of this NFL season, Warren Sharp, and we have four games this week that are under 40 points. I don't recommend that anybody make this actual bet, but we got four turkey legs and we are going to eat all of them under 40 points. The Patriots and the Giants, that number is 33 and a half. The Steelers and the Bengals are at 34 and a half. The Panthers and the Titans are at 37. The Browns and the Broncos, 35 and a half. All I'll ask you, now if you parlay all of those unders together, those four dirty under 40, beautiful dark meat turkey legs, that is plus 1,200. That's a 12 to 1. Enjoy yourself. Gluttony. Uh, holiday season is upon us. Go buy some extra presents for your loved ones. That's that parlay right there. Um, I'll put it to you the way the Podfather always sets it up. Who's going to blow this? Which which one is going to go over? <laughs> wow. Well, for, first of all, let's talk strategy here. Uh, I don't know if you have actually capped these games and think they're all going to go under, or you just think that the lines maker is probably right to set low numbers here, and you've seen what's happened so far this season, and so you just want to throw a little bit of extra money on it to to get that 12 to one payout. And I'll say this, you know, Thanksgiving is definitely a fun time to do things like this. I got a little bit more involved on the game, uh, on the Monday night game between the Eagles and the, uh, Chiefs just because it felt like a bigger game. I, I went smaller yeah. on, I went smaller on some props, but I added some more props to the mix and, 
ended up going four and one on those. So it's fine to like go a little bit smaller, spread out some of your bets, have a little bit more action if you want to, especially if it's not really, uh, you know, make or break life or death money that you need to pay the gas bill type thing. Uh, you're just trying to, you know, get a little bit more upside. So throw a few exotics, have a little bit of fun. Uh, it's, it's a holiday weekend. So do that with, um, some small change here in terms of which team could potentially blow this one. Oh boy, that's a tough call. Um, my perspective here is I think there's the opportunity for some defensive scores in this Patriots Giants game that okay. could, could short fields or things of that yep. nature. Like I, I totally could see a 13 to six game, but I could also see enough short fields, a defensive score by the Patriots here. Um, I, I could see the, the Giants. Kayvon Thibodeau getting some pressure on quarterback of the New England Patriots and causing some problems there. So like there's opportunities for sack fumbles and for disruption and, and, and havoc. I think the teams with the best offenses here certainly would be the Cleveland Denver game. Those offenses are better than the offenses of the other games that you've mentioned. And thus, you know, if you have a defensive lapse or something like that, you could get some scoring from those offenses, which will push the ball down the field a little bit more than some of the other uh, games that have the lower point total. What were you going to guess? The Patriots and the Giants. And honestly, it's because there was a little flicker of a connection between Saquon Barkley and Tommy DeVito. Tommy, like, really looked um, Saquon's way. Just like, we, you know, Daniel Jones uh, did, you know, for all of the success that Daniel Jones had as a quarterback that he turned into a $46 million bag. Um, Congrats to him. Saquon really delivered that, and Saquon um, was, you know, lively against Washington. Tommy DeVito is not a good uh, quarterback, um, but, you know, there were some throws that he made that that he hit uh, Darius Slayton up the sideline uh, on on a, a pass that had about a, you know, foot and a half window, and it was accurate, and it was on time. Um, so that would be the one. If What if that Giants offense... Uh, is is some they scored twenty four points. The final score of the Washington game was thirty one, but six turnovers. A lot of that was short field performance by the Giants, including a defensive touchdown. Uh, but that would be the one that I I am nervous about. We're on the same page with that. Yeah, and actually, as I'm looking it up, I'm trying to pull my uh my spreadsheet here that has this. But I believe that the Patriots are one of the worst teams in the NFL. Yeah, they're, they're actually the third worst at blitzing, but not recording pressure. Uh, so when they blitz, they are not actually getting home to record pressure um, at one of the higher rates of any team in the NFL. Uh, they're doing so at a 67.6% clip on their blitzes. Uh, which, which obviously is, is terrible. The NFL average is 57% and they rank third worst. So if you do have some blitzes, you're going to want to try to get some pressure on this young and experienced quarterback, but some blitzes that don't get home. Obviously, we should take into consideration Bill Belichick's historical record against young and experienced quarterbacks. He typically destroys them, uh, but broken plays, defensive scores, things of that nature, that would be the one. Um, speaking of the one, we've got to select our one betting buddy to win this week. Fortunately, betting buddies came through last week in fine fashion. Um, so as you guys know, there's a way to get some rewards and it's not small rewards, it's nice rewards from FanDuel Sportsbook. 
The only step that you have to take is you probably should be following Joe House on Twitter. He's going to tweet out. Usually it's during the halftime of the Thursday night game because we typically record these shows around midnight or so, 11.30 p.m. after Thursday night football is over. Obviously, that's not the case this week. Uh, but we'll put out a call. We'll pull out the signal. We'll request your best bet of the week. It could be a side. It could be a total. It could be a parlay. It could be player props. Whatever you want to do, you just have to make sure that you give us a screenshot of the fact that you actually place this bet at FanDuel Sportsbook along with your username could be for any amount of money and you will be entered. And it does not actually matter whether your bet wins or loses. You will get a reward from FanDuel Sportsbook so long as we select your bet. So I got a couple to pitch to you, House, and then you can choose which one you want to roll with here. We've got Beth, whose X name on X is at Drew X Stevens. So go figure. Beth at Drew X Stevens, whatever there. But you're going with the Bills money line plus digs over receiving yards, whatever that happens to be, uh, because that is not out yet. Um, the Eagles have been outgained by 95, 95 plus yards three straight weeks, yet won all three games. A huge letdown spot after the win versus Kansas City. They are also awful against the elite wide receiver one. CD Lamb had 191 yards on 11 receptions. Tyree Kill had 88 yards on 11 receptions. What do you think about Beth at Drew X Stevens? I like half of this. I like the Diggs play. I agree with the underlying logic. Um, and it is truly the case that the um, Eagles defense is susceptible to elite wide receiver ones. The numbers don't lie. It's just a really tough spot for that Bills money line play. You have to really believe that the Eagles are going to lose two games against the AFC East this year if they if you talk yourself into this Bills money line. I don't have enough information about the bills getting any healthier on defense and that defense ha it, it has been the thing that changed the course of their season i do like the notion of the bills if you're just trying to do uh incentive allocation the eagles are nine and one and absolutely in the catbird seat in the nfc um so if they there is room so to speak, for them to lose a game. And the Bills are absolutely desperate, but um, the Bills' money line is the concerning piece to this. I like the way that this is put together, though, I will say. Good job by, by Beth. Good thought process. Good thought process. Okay, so the next one I'll pitch to you is Luke Dimmick on X at Super Parlay Bro. And he says that he wants to grab two dogs on a six-point teaser through the key numbers of three and seven. I like Houston at home in a divisional game, and I like Cleveland's defense to keep it close with a low total of 35 and a half. So he is teasing with six points at FanDuel. The Houston Texans plus seven and a half to the Cleveland Browns plus Eight and a half. What do you make of that one? Obviously, we already know that you love the Cleveland Browns as a teaser leg. So nothing needs to be said there. What do you think about the Texans on a teaser? Yeah, you don't have to push me very far. We had a great conversation earlier on this show about that Jag Jaguars-Texans uh, matchup. And the Texans at home, they've just been um, very lively in this, this uh, spot. That offense really seems to get cooking at, at home. So I, I I like this. Let's let's go with uh, Mr. Luke, the Lukester 
on this uh, two-leg teaser. It's it's very much in line with all of my bet the house. So he he, he understood how to come in and speak some house language here as a betting buddy. Nice right down the middle, six-point teaser. That's minus 134 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. And two teams that I think, you know, uh, hopefully we'll see these teams in the playoffs. Maybe they'll play each other, Houston and Cleveland. This is nice. Let's 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 go with Mr. Luke Sharpie. All right, that is the winner. Reminder: every time we send out that bat signal, get in your bets, and you got a shot at winning some prize money here. It's a great thing. It's free to enter. What could be better than that? So be sure to pay attention to us. And I guess that'll do it. House, an excellent weekend ahead for us. Thanksgiving football. Nothing beats it. I'm so excited for you to be able to watch it with family and friends for me to be able to do the same. And to everybody out there who's listening, be thankful for everything that you've got. Take a moment, appreciate what we've got to enjoy. And more than anything, have some fun with these games. Thank you guys for listening. The Ringer Gambling Show will return on Monday when the East Coast Bias guys get back together to preview Monday Night Football. Thanks to Joe House for joining me and to Mike Wargon and Steve Cerruti for producing this episode. Good luck with all your bets and enjoy your holiday. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT-STEP to 533-42. In Connecticut, you can call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Indiana, one 800 9 with it in Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. In Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. Visit in Maryland, mdgamblinghelp.org. In West Virginia, you can visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net or in Wyoming, you can call 1-800-522-4700. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call in New York 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope NY in New York.